your boy Mighty Joe. Welcome to another episode of The Patch Bay. Joining me today is a six-time Emmy Award winner. He's a composer, sound designer, audio engineer, and owner of 132 Studios in Oakland, California. I want to welcome to the show, BZ Lewis. Hey, hey. How you doing today, BZ? I'm great, man. It's good to be here. It's so cool. Right on, man. It is so cool to have you. I really appreciate you taking the time out. And, uh, you know, I know everything is, is hectic just in general. So thanks so much for taking the time to join me in a great conversation. Yeah, absolutely, man. Oh, man. So Yeah, very cool. Did going to school prepare you for all you were about to face or was experience the real teacher for you? Oh, definitely experience as a real teacher. Um, man, that's a good question because, um, you know, right off, right after high school, I went to this audio engineering school. It was like the only one in Texas where, mm-hmm. where I grew up in Texas. And, West um, Texas, right? In uh, Big Spring? Yeah, yeah. I grew up in a little town called Big Spring. Right on. And um, it was a commercial music program, which was awesome. But, um, you know, two years into the program, you know, I'm kind of done with it. And I'm like... <laughs> There's no way to make a, a, a living in music. Are you kidding mm. me? This is going to be impossible. Right. You know, like, yeah, I mean, we'd show up to gigs with, um, you know, a couple of cars and, you know, a van full of gear. And, you know, we'd make about a hundred bucks a night, you know, and we'd probably have to split that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Out of how many people? Uh, there are five of us. Ooh. But, um, yeah, baby. So um, <laughs> I, I just kind of like... This isn't going to happen. So I, yeah. I, I applied for the University of Texas at Austin to become a, a mechanical engineer, and that's that's how I got to Austin. In 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 '93, that was when you moved over to California, and I know that I read you said it was a, there was a film that you worked on. So what was that film that prompted you to move to California? So funny, man, because every time I say I worked on a film, everyone just always says, oh, what porn was it? <laughs> but, uh, no, seriously, no, which one was um, it? <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, right. No, it wasn't a porn. It was like a, I, I don't want to say legit film, but it was pretty legit. It was actually um, my friends from high school. Mm-hmm. You know, we were all pretty tight. You know, we played D&D in high school, stuff like that, and we were all okay, what can we do to keep our friendship going after we all graduate from college? And um, we came up with making a film. We'll just make a film. Mm. And so that's what we decided to do. One of my friends, um, Charlie, had a a job as a nuclear engineer at GE in San Jose. So he was the only guy who had a, a legit job. And he, that he couldn't leave. Everyone else, you know, we just like we were all just working somewhere. It didn't really matter. So we just packed up and left and moved into this guy's one-bedroom flat in, in San Jose and set up our uh, shop there. And um, yeah, but we shot this film, you know, back home in Texas, and um, and then moved out to San Jose to to finish editing it and stuff like that. We had a little, just like a, a couple of pieces of gear and. Um, we got this little computer card that would record two tracks of audio and a bunch of MIDI stuff. And we got to work and we made it happen. Wow. And it was an all digital audio thing back in 93, which was just completely unheard of. I was watching a, a show about 
the behind the scenes of the Backstreet, I'm, Backstreet Boys, the Beastie Boys, and I think these guys' names were the Dust Brothers, and they were the oh, yeah. yeah they were the first people to ever you know incorporate using a computer, and the first time they ever saw a computer in the studio. So, but yeah, so so did you did you did you put the film out? Yeah, I did. We we finally got it um, sold. Um, we, it was a film called Hell is Texas. <laughs> Hell is Texas. Yeah. What was that about? It's, well, it's a story about friendship and the afterlife, and it takes place with this guy who doesn't know he's dead, and oh. I just, all the merry mix-ups that ensue, and yeah. <laughs> so who who wrote it? Was it all you guys that wrote it, or did you just handle the music side of things? What was your role? In? Uh, yeah, music and um, well, anything sound. Right. Anything sound. I had a, another friend of mine who had a computer. I mean, at that point, I was not in computers at all whatsoever, but my friend was, and um, my friend Jance was. Right. And so he, we were working out of um, this program called Studio Vision. Gotcha. I don't know if you remember that from back in the day. No, I never heard of that program. Okay. But no, the guy who wrote it was um, my friend Zane, and mm-hmm. uh, Zane had a job as an animator in a couple of places in LA mm-hmm. that, that he was already working out of. So um, Nice. He, yeah, so he's kind of a director, and he he moved eventually moved back to Austin. Gotcha. And he's um, doing that kind of thing now, which is still today, which is cool. And then you pretty much continued on from there. So Studio One Thirty Two was tuned by Bob Hodis, who yeah. has a ridiculous resume. How do you yes. think? How do you think it is to? How important do you think it is to have your studio tuned or treated in some fashion? Well, it's make or break, right? I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, it kind of depends on what you're doing, you know. But you you have to be able to hear in something that's going to translate, you know, to the outside world. Sure. So if you if you're in a square room that's got like you know a gazillion reflections, man, you're going to be screwed. Yeah. Going to be spending um, a lot of time going back and forth. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Right. I mean, I built my studio with, um, you know, all the walls are splayed, so they're, they're all at an angle, mm-hmm. you know, a slight angle. You think you have to have, like, 10 degrees of splay. I've got, like, 12, I guess, or something. Mm-hmm. But um, that that really helps. I mean, I could almost get away without having any, like, additional EQ in the room. But, you know, I just have, I don't even have a whole lot of bass traps. and Like, I have some bass traps, but, right. like, the walls aren't covered and stuff, because Bob was like, no, just... Just put this um, where your speakers hit, and put this here, put that here, and you're golden. Mm. So you you work with with so many different genres of music as an engineer. How do you prepare yourself for a specific style of music? God, it's so funny because I, yeah, because I work with so many different kinds of music. Yeah, I. You I work with children like music I'm, too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a biggie. Mm-hmm. I always feel like I'm sort of a jack of all trades it's really bizarre and i'm like when i grow up i know i'm going to specialize in something but i I haven't gotten there yet gotcha gotcha yeah Yeah, but how do i i just sort of had this overriding principle about how i'm going to mix and it's just like make it sound awesome like make it feel good from one section to another make it flow and um you know do a lot of listening while i'm mixing right you know a lot of listening to other people's songs you know, gotcha. No, definitely. Other things in the same, yeah. So, but you're just you're just well versed, just just in general for in music. So you're you're ready for anything at the end of the day. 
Yeah, man, I've been doing this forever. Like, what, 23 years or something? That I've had the studio and then I was doing stuff before that, so. Yeah, no, you are definitely one of the gurus. There's no doubt about that. How, How do you connect with the artist in order to bring the best out of them? I just, man, I just have this funny sense of humor and like half the time I'm, I'm giving them a hard time. <laughs> it's so funny. I just, uh, I, I guess I just make people feel comfortable ultimately, but um, yeah, because I mean, it's, it's such a, um, dare I say, an intimate experience recording somebody because, yeah. you know, you're really, as an artist, you're really bearing your soul, you know, especially when you're singing and it's really that can get really touchy. So I really just try to dispel the tension in the room. Yeah. You you also, you wrote a book called How to Survive Owning a Recording Studio, right? Right, yes. So how how do you think this book will in, or I know it was, you know, you did it years ago, but even people that, that might want to pick it up today or that have picked it up, but how do you think the book enlightens others that are either running a studio or considering opening their own studio? Well, I think the thing about that book is just watching somebody's career path as it goes along. Mm-hmm. And like, what were the steps they took? You know, did they make a big investment at the beginning or did they start small and slowly grow, which was my course, but yeah, yeah how did they do it? How did, and how do they stay in business and how do they make enough to raise a family and right yeah well, that, there's a lot of things i would do different if i were writing that book now as opposed to you know six or seven years ago but gotcha yeah so but it was also all, all about like the kind of gigs i do and how they break down and what you can charge for and, and what you can't that are still relevant today right awesome so yeah a lot of it's pretty darn relevant you actually just mentioned something that I, I wanted to ask you is, how do you stay in a creative mode when money and expectations are involved? And do those elements ever jade the project for you? I guess they jade it if I'm, well, I think if I'm working on something and I'm feeling like it's just not enough money, <laughs> if it's something I'm not really into, I, yeah, or if I feel like I'm being taken advantage of. Gotcha then that gets jading mighty fast. Understood. Um, that being said though, there's a lot of things I do where um, I don't charge money at all and I just like take back end stuff. Yeah. And a lot of that's been really successful, but it is hard, it's really hard to do that because you know, 99.9% of the things you do that way will never make a penny. And so yeah. <laughs> it's really hard to, know when to do that and when not to sure i mean basically that you can play it safe and just never do that right and you would be fine so what what are some pet peeves of yours as a studio owner and as an engineer which i think you kind of just said it you know which like you said if you felt like you were taking advantage of but if is there anything else just as far as what an artist might do in the booth like if they show up late or whatever the case is or don't show up at all (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, people blowing me off. That's that's always fun. Yeah. Um, although I am so lucky that I've got this composing side of my career that yeah. if they're not there, cool, I'm, chances are there's something I need to be writing. So a lot of times when someone doesn't show up, it's like, thank goodness I have the time. True. Gotcha. But my biggest pet peeve, I would say I don't like people touching my computer screen. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Just because I don't know why. Gotcha. That's just that's just something you don't like. Hey, that's that. I guess I don't like it. Right. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Everybody's got their. I own need to thing. put little huh? laser pointers out or something. Okay, you can point that way, but. <laughs> I am coming to a, your studio with a laser pointer. I promise. I don't know why I would touch the screen anyway, though. I would just point like right there. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's so funny. Like I was saying, it's. It's a pretty intimate process, you yeah, know, and sure. working side by side with somebody. So they'll, they'll point. Yeah, definitely. Sometimes get a little too close. Be like, whoa. A little too close. Yeah, well, you touched my screen. I don't know. Give me I 20. I a little ejection seat and I just like pull, it, pull the lever and they go <laughs> flying out. Was that part of the studio build? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, it was yeah, You're, one of the most expensive things. Either, so. either that or they get dropped into the mode of crocodiles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And snapping turtles. So um, how has the the studio world changed, though, for you over the years? And how have you evolved to keep yourself current? Yeah. Well, the Internet has come a long way. Mm -hmm. Thank goodness. So I started this other thing called the Mix Pack, where people can upload their tracks. And, you know, the the whole thing behind that is just to where... Um, it's an unattended mix session, basically. Like, mm-hmm. you know, people from all over the world, you know, can send me their their tracks that they record at home, right? And you know, I can sort of do it at my own leisurely pace in whatever pajamas I want to wear. So, <laughs> I saw that on your website. You're like, yeah, you can still send me your stuff. I'm in my PJs, but uh, don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, I'm, I'm sure I have. And you said it's called the Mix Pack. Yeah, the mix pack. Gotcha. And, and that's, yeah. that, I'm sure, has been really handy, though, for a time like now. Yeah, because since COVID happened, I have yeah. not had anyone in here. I mean, oh, since sure. the middle of March. Sure. I've, no, nobody's been in here. I've had a couple of, you know, like, mix pack things, like yeah. that sort of things. But, um, yeah, nobody. Gotcha. You've you been know, more just really working on your own stuff lately? Yeah, I've been working on my own stuff. Um been working on a website for the mix pack that should that may go up either later today or tomorrow or something nice um what when did you place your first piece of music and and what what was a first piece of music and sound designing i should say and and what was it for i think the first thing i did was um you know i used to work at a music store too a long time ago and um at that time I was also just, I was somewhat creating my own, writing my own stuff. Mm-hmm. And I had this other band called Sugar Dinks. And uh, <laughs> this is like 1994, 95, yeah. 96, 97, right around through there. And we would meet once a week and just come to the studio and write stuff. Mm-hmm. And I joined this thing called Taxi. I don't know if you know yeah. what Taxi Heck is, yeah. but. I remember Taxi. Is it still yeah, exists? I think so. yeah, oh. absolutely, and they um, they get your stuff in front of people who need it, who are looking for it. Mm-hmm. So, and I was I was early on in that too. So I think that really helped me out. But I was kind of a poster child for them because I I'd, I'd gotten a lot of deals through them. I think my first thing was oh, it, in fact, it was this thing called uh, Belly Fruit, and through that, that was Cheryl Churchill from Media Creature. And um, this is before she even started Media Creature. And, but I met her because she used some of my music. And that relationship went on for a long time. Gotcha. So, but yeah, that was, that so, was way early on. That was like 98. 
Oh wow! So so taxi was a was a big facilitator. Yeah, nice. yeah. I mean, a lot of my early credits, mm-hmm. a lot of my credit reel is is because of the stuff I got placed through taxi. You are also though a man that has many many awards. Are are some awards less significant to you, or do you appreciate them all the same? And what has been your favorite award that you've won to this to date? I, it's man, it's kind of that first Emmy, yeah. you know, like that first one. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Independent Music Awards was was really nice because, um, you know, like I work with my friends making music for these albums, and and then we got to go to New York together to to win these awards. Yeah. <laughs> it's really, that's that's fantastic. Since you bring that up, though, I just want to add on to that because I believe that you were nominated. Correct me if I'm incorrect on anything. But I believe you were nominated for three, or you knew that you were going to win three. So you went to go and accept three awards. But you wind up walking away with five that same night? Yeah. Um, what was that because... like to win five rings in one night? I mean, shoot, yeah, Michael Jordan had to wait every year to win one ring. You went and won <laughs> five in one night. So what was that feeling like? Well, there's, well, that was pretty amazing, too, yeah. obviously. Because I think the the... Like Monica Pasquale, who I went with, and Sarah Lovell, who I also went with, mm-hmm. they won everything they were nominated for. So, like, there's... But the way they, they do it, there's also this other thing called a Vox Pop Award. Yeah. It's so like, for the... Um, I think for the, for the albums... Yeah, for the albums, you can get a... Uh, like, the popular vote, which is like your fans you know, log in and vote for, mm-hmm. and whoever wins that gets the award, whoever gets the most... Um, votes, but then you can also win the judges award, and so, like an album could win two awards. Mm. So that's that's sort of how that works. So like, there's also like album and song, or concept video. So wow. So yeah. But, but, so, but what were you? What was like? Were you blown away when you went home with five awards? Yeah, <laughs> I mean that's ridiculous. Like I only have two of them out. I've just. Where are you going to put them all? <laughs> That's fantastic. So we, we, we've been talking about, you know, the intimacy and everything as far as your relationship with the artist. Once you win an award with those artists, is that like a, a, a connection that you two have for the rest of your lives because of that? I think so. Yeah. 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 I mean, we'll have to see. Like, um, well, you know, it's funny. You win something like that. And then the next week you have another session and nothing really changes. Right. <laughs> you know, like we had a great time and that's fantastic. But but they had know. the confidence in you from day one anyway. So it's not like the confidence is going to get elevated. Yeah, it does. It does help. I, I'm sure on some level it helps. But honestly, we just get going to work the next the next time and. You know, we just do what we do, and we just have fun doing it. And yeah, gotcha. Yeah, no, that's yeah, and and like you said too, it does help in a sense as well, as far as when you're working, because you're like, oh shoot, we just won all these awards. We keep it up. We'll probably be able to bring in some more. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I guess it's kind of thing if you both, you know, like this this project that you both worked on. It's not like suddenly, oh. This person I'm working with has an award and I don't. We, we both kind of leveled up the same. Yeah. So it's not like one person's got more than another or something. <laughs> it's 
And so it's just, I don't know, it's kind of cool. It's kind of the shared thing. Yeah, yeah, no, it sounds like a, it sounds like an everlasting bond. So that's that's pretty fantastic. With, with all the awards that you've won over the years, has there ever been a time that you didn't win that you felt you really should have? Oh, there's one commercial thing I did that I was really proud of yeah. that I was hoping was going to win an Emmy. Yeah. But and, and the Independent Music Awards this last time, um, I was nominated for three, um, like best uh, dance album, best dance producer, and then Monica and I were nominated for best pop producer. And I didn't win any of those. Oh, <laughs> so that was kind of a bummer. Yeah. How do you how do you power through those when you experience those not so glorious moments? Um, I just look at everything else I've won along the way and go like, yeah, it's not a big deal. Right. <laughs> like I've, I'm okay. <laughs> right. It's just time to get back to work. Yeah, it's just time to get back to work, yeah. man. You know, yeah. come on. I mean, it would be nice to have something like that to you know post about. Sure. Sure. You know, on your Instagram page and whatnot. But right, right. But but in the grand scheme of things, it's not really, it's not going to add up to much other than just some self gratification, I guess, for yourself. Yeah. Gotcha. But I am hungry for that in a weird in a weird way. I've got enough of an ego to where, yeah, that's that that's always cool to have. Right on. Right on. So I mean, if you if you don't have an at least a little bit of an ego, you wouldn't enter in the first place. So. Yeah. So I want to talk to you about Infinite Point. I believe that is the last album that you that you just made. It was the one that yes. came out in like 2019. Yeah. So when I when I listen to the the tracks, the records on on Infinite Point, I, there there's a lot going on. So how many tracks does a typical BZ Lewis song have? In? Yeah, I am way too dense. <laughs> I mean. It's ridiculous. Really? <laughs> I've got themes going, like themes underneath themes. Yeah. You know, it's 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 crazy. Like more than it's crazy like amount of stuff. Sixty tracks. Yeah, probably. Right I don't know. Um, right on. Yeah, well, because like, you know, you'll get like a little snippet of a sound, like for like dubstep stuff, right? Yeah. And like, there's a lot going on mm-hmm. in a really short amount of time. So like, like cool. I'll, and you know, like my, my Pro Tools rig, I, I can just leave all this stuff up. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you know, I might have like 10, 12 tracks of, of massive, mm-hmm. you know, that synth massive. Yeah, and, and I. Yeah, just like just sitting there, just making like one or two little sounds. And I should really, t- you know, turn those into audio files, but I'm too lazy to do it. But yeah, so that takes up a bunch of tracks. That's 20 tracks because they're all stereo, you know, and. Yeah, so, yeah, 60 tracks, that, that gets eaten up pretty darn fast. Gotcha. So uh, how did you actually get into the dubstep side of things? How did you learn how to create, you know, some dubstep elements? Hmm. Well, my first album is called Reserved. Right. And that album was, like, guitar riffs over, like, hip-hop beats, basically. Okay. And it's also with some industrial elements, too. And it's really angry and aggressive stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I started writing that about the time um, of the Iraq War, you know, after 9-11. Yeah. And um, I think I have a song called Shock and Awe. Was that a way for was, you to kind of get your, get you, you know, like just kind of get your stress out in a positive way because of what was going on? Yes, okay. yeah, because just that stuff just yeah. eats me up alive. So I, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I just started writing sort of music that's just like, 
angry. You know, it's just angry. And I'm not an angry guy. I guess I am at some level, but like, like I wouldn't hurt a flea, but like, yeah, musically, I can just get in there and do this. So when you ask me like dubstep stuff, I'm actually pretty new to it. My previous album was also dubstep, Mm -hmm. but uh, my friend Chance, who was that guy who had the computer stuff for that film, um, he sent me this song by this guy called Skrillex. And I'm like, you know, it starts off, it's just sort of this reggae beat. I'm like going, oh yeah, that's cool. Some of the sounds are kind of nice. And then it just tears it up. You know, it just, oh, it's just incredible. Right on. Like I'll never forget sitting in my studio, listening to that cranked up for the first time. And yeah. it's like, oh, and, and I really want to be doing some of that. Another thing that I loved about the, not even just the infinite point, because I listened to some other albums prior. I, I didn't get a chance to listen to that first album that you mentioned. Because I, I never heard any hip hop elements, it was all kind of the, the infinite point, you know, style. But what what's your process to get those big crunchy guitars that you have on all your albums? Because your guitars are bananas. You know, it's funny. I just plug straight into um, my. Um, I've got a couple of Joe Meeks, mm-hmm. like the VC Six Q, right. just like a single channel thing and um it's not even the best one really right. yeah. <laughs> that i have but it just plugs straight into that and um and then it's usually you're gonna crack up but it's it's just the uh, default patch that comes up on 11 mm-hmm. you know the pro tools plug in yeah and that's a super heavy you know tread plate it's like the best tread plate sound i've, I've ever heard i think right on. so i just i mostly use that mm-hmm. and then um for the clean stuff, I'll use Amplitude. So I wasn't sure if you if you did a lot of layering and, and oh, whatnot to be able yeah, to bring I'll, those I'll to light. Yeah, I'll double track everything. Well, you know, like the rhythm guitars, they're all double tracked. They're like hard panned left and right. So that's kind of cool. And sometimes I'll run it through, um, what's that, BX um, that Plugin Alliance, that, what is that, that BX console, that SSL 4000 or something. Yeah, I'll run it through that. Gotcha. You know, do some EQ tweaks and whatnot, and then... Do, do you affect the left side different from the right side? To kind nope. of create more spatial? No, almost never. I mean, sometimes I'll do a third pass where I'm just, like, straight up the middle. Mm. <laughs> but, like, yeah, I, I hardly ever do anything like that, which is really funny. You'd think I would, but... Really impressed by all that guitar work, then. But... Uh, oh, cool, thanks. Yeah, man. So, all of your albums, from what I've heard, I, like I said, I haven't heard all of them, but from what I have heard, they're, they're instrumentals. What is it about instrumentals that really excites you? Yes, I, I just I don't sing. I'm really not a good singer, and I just leave that up to the people who can really do it, because I'm, I'm not going to do that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like I, I was wondering why you didn't also maybe collaborate with other artists to be on your on your price so I, I thought maybe it was just the instrumental you know energy that you loved and that's why you never even tried to get it invited, is it's know? it's also sort of a reaction to working with so many singer songwriters that i work with here in the studio yeah. that i just kind of like i just want to do this on my own and i want it to be all instrumental right you know i don't want to have to like you know make way for the vocal because like you know vocals if you have a vocal in a song suddenly there's nothing but the vocal i mean everything else doesn't matter right you know yes. so it's all about the vocal pretty much yeah but with an instrumental track it's a, it's just 
literally music for music's sake. Yeah. And I love that, you know, like that, like just like the classical compositions and stuff like that. You know, they're they were kind of music for music's sake and not necessarily, you know, dictated by a um, yeah a personality. Gotcha. So creating music that outlasts yourself is important to you. What are the elements included in something that you would consider a song to be timeless? Oh, I love that question. You know, it's funny with this dubstep stuff. I kind of know that's not going to be around forever. You know, like that's going to sound dated at some point. And it's kind of for now. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, timeless, man. That's... That's a really good one. If I were doing like, um, um, you know, like my, my brother is a yoga instructor in Dallas. Okay. And one time he said, Can, you know, could you just make me some like solo guitar, you know, atmospheric stuff and, you know, like just, just for background music. So I, you know, just sort of sat down and I recorded a thing, like a total stream of consciousness for like an hour mm-hmm. and it was over and done with, like in an, you know, the whole thing took an hour and a half. <laughs> wow. And, and so this concept of timelessness, um, yeah, it's just really simple stuff, a lot of reverb. It's, it, that, will, that will always sound cool. I'll say this too, like I, I mixed this person named Chelsea Sophia out in Nashville just last week. And she's got, she just sits down and plays acoustic guitar and sings. Yeah. And that is just a nice, simple recipe. And her voice, her guitar playing, yeah, it's just it's just timeless. Right on. So over the years, the role that you've played has been behind the scenes. But at one point in your life, did you ever want to be that big, famous musician that played in front of a crowd of 50,000 and had videos airing on MTV worldwide? Oh yeah, absolutely. When I was in college, I was had this band called Culture Shock out of Austin, right. and um, I did that while I was getting my guitar degree. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know we were kind of big fish in a small pond. I mean, we were you know headlining shows on Saturday nights, you know, and and um, you know we were being looked at by Warner at one point, and oh. like I thought I was trying so hard not to have to graduate college, but. You know, it just never really came to pass. But we were, you know, like, you know, playing in front of hundreds of screaming fans. And, like, they were all singing along to our songs. And, like, that was nice. really cool. Yeah. It, it, it was still, it still worked out for you in, in, a, in a massive way, which is cool. You know, you got to 23 years and, and counting. And, and you're still picking up that guitar and killing it. So that's pretty awesome. I'll tell you a funny story, too, yeah. is... Um, you know, in high school with MTV and stuff like that, all I wanted to be was on MTV. And, you know, <laughs> through that taxi service, um, my music was like on rotation a whole bunch because, you know, I was, because when MTV kind of stopped playing videos and they were just doing shows, yeah. um, you know, I, my music was on those shows. So I, in that way, I kind of, realize that dream it just didn't look anything like i thought it was going to look like yeah well you, you still you still <laughs> made it to the pros you just made it in a different fashion yeah right yeah no yeah i, I, I totally get that that's cool huh? but you you've you've accomplished so much is there anything that you know i know you mentioned it a little bit before but 
Is there anything still that you got your sights on that you still want to achieve? Yeah, well, it's um, I've got this friend Sarah Lovell, and she's um, she just released her album, and that's going to be you know we're going to enter it for the Grammys, so that would be cool. I really don't want to change a whole lot about what I'm doing. I just want to maybe work on slightly bigger projects, right? You know, but that's a, that's really about it. Gotcha. I mean, I've actually thought about that pretty hard. Like, what would I change? What do I want to do different? Yeah. And there's not a lot I want to be doing different. So what do you do for fun in your downtime? I I ride my mountain bike. I'm a mountain biker. Oh, yeah. And I live out here in the Oakland Hills. And um, there are some of the best mountain biking trails, like, within three quarters of a mile from here. Nice. It's amazing. Yeah. What kind of bike do you have? I have a, um, it's like a full suspension mountain bike. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, it's a Cannondale Jekyll 2. <laughs> gotcha. Sounds yeah, impressive. Yeah, it's just awesome i mean it's just i had this um this like the first production mountain uh full suspension bike i think it was called a proflex yeah and that served me well for a long time but last september i finally finally got a new bike and oh my gosh it's amazing yeah love it what's the what's the longest the longest trek you've ever gone on you know it's not really about that like mountain bike trails or like dog you know like like one mountain bike trail is like the equivalent of like ten road, (laughs) seven. So it's just like I go tear it up in the hills and then you know come back home. So it's I don't even really go that far. It's probably like you know maybe ten miles altogether. But like that's pretty good though. Yeah, Yeah. I would love to do like you know a century like on a road bike at some point. What what's that? What do you mean by that? That's you know riding a hundred miles. Oh, actually riding a hundred miles. Holy cow. So, but but I yeah. mean, what kind of bike would it would be a different kind of bike? Yeah, yeah. Because my mountain bikes, um, for the technology that it's in, it's pretty light, but it's still it's thirty. Yeah, it's still thirty something pounds. But like a, gotcha. a really nice light mountain bu- uh, road bike, nice would be good for a long distance. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm, I, I grew up a big BMX cat. I had a, a Mongoose GT. And, yeah, and, and they make they make those for they make the bigger frames for adults. So that is my goal is eventually to get some kind of mongoose GT or something like that. So so BZ, I just want to make sure I give you some time to tell anybody about your Instagrams, your websites, how to find you, where the studio is, all that good stuff. The mic is yours, my friend. Oh yeah, well the studio is uh, here in Oakland, just studio132.com. Um, you can find me there. Let's see. I'm on Instagram at um, uh, BZ Lewis. Mm-hmm. Instagram.com to BZ Lewis. It's always a good one. And if anybody wants to listen to Infinite Point or any of your other albums, how would they go about finding those records? Oh, probably uh, Bandcamp is a, is a great way to go for that. Okay. On YouTube as well? Yeah. Okay. And YouTube as well. So, um, is there a specific Bandcamp? Yeah, it's bz-music.bandcamp.com. Perfect. Awesome. Yeah. I really appreciate everything that that you do and everything that you're going to continue to do. And if you need me for anything, my friend, I'm always right here for you. Yeah. Well, likewise. Right on, man. Right on. Yeah. Thank you so much for no. for doing what you're doing. Just, it's truly my pleasure, man. I want to thank my guest, BZ Lewis, for joining me in a great conversation. And I also want to thank everybody that 
listened to this episode. I really appreciate you tuning in. I look forward to bringing more real soon. Uh, until then, though, please stay safe and stay strong. It's the Patch Bay. <laughs>